Hello, Terry here with another episode of the Animation Industry Podcast. Today, I'm chatting with a Toronto-based video game art director, but first, I have a sponsored message for you. This episode is sponsored by my friends over at Rocket Sky 3D Animation School, who've created an amazing online program to train you to become a professional 3D character animator in a little over a year, even if you have absolutely zero experience at all. You'll learn everything from the ground up, from basic drawing for animation to producing your own short film. They help you master everything a studio wants to see in a portfolio to get you into the industry as quickly as possible. They also offer low tuition rates and installment plans, so if you're interested in a career in the amazing animation industry, which you know I am pursuing myself, or you want to level up your skills quickly, all you have to do is go and sign up at www.rocketsky.ca and they'll send you more info about the program and free ebooks with top tips and tricks from the pros. And I'll include a link to all that in the description of this podcast, so please check them out. Now, back to this episode. Uh, today I'm chatting with John Little, who is a Toronto-based multidisciplinary artist who works in video games, animation, illustration, and television. His first graphic novel, The Salesman, was published in 2015, and his latest creative effort was a collaborative one. John and his wife are eagerly awaiting the arrival of a, oh, I didn't, I didn't even read this beforehand, a baby girl in early November. Congrats. That's so great. Oh my gosh. Two months. Yeah, wow. Awesome. Are you going to name it Terry after me? Because I'm famous now? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we'll discuss it. We'll see. We'll, we'll bat that one about, but I don't think it's going to land. Okay. Maybe I'll just keep this as the intro and just whatever. <laughs> Anyways. Hi, John. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, yeah, so you have a hit uh, Reddit post. Yeah, I was trying to figure out a, figure out a segue to lean into that. <laughs> I want to get that. That's why, why, I mean, that's why we're wearing sunglasses right now, right? Well, that is why we're, we're wearing sunglasses right now. If you're just listening to this podcast, you won't see our amazing sunglasses. They're so reflective that I can actually see myself in my own computer screen, in your computer screen, in your sunglasses. <laughs> That is wild. Yeah, um, I posted one of my animations that I was working on all summer to uh, YouTube and then linked it up on Reddit and it ended up getting the top spot on our videos and then reaching the front page in like overnight, which was insane. So I woke up to like a thousand comments, like 170,000 views. It's uh, It's been really overwhelming, but it's been really nice. I've been very emotional about it, reading all the comments. There hasn't been a single bad one yet, which is really, surprising on reddit so yeah. everybody's just so kind and nice so i'm really happy about it that's amazing i'm really happy for you too well that's thank it. you um and thanks for bringing that up we aren't here to talk about that we're here to talk about you and uh your what the things that you're doing right now that are really great um true. yeah it's, it's true. my star <laughs> um, yeah so one thing i want to chat about with you is kind of the the business side of things that we we chatted a little bit about in our pre-chat um, or kind of like how to look out for yourself as an artist once you're in the industry, things like how to know if you're getting paid right, how to not be taken advantage of. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but first let's talk about what you're doing right now, which is your full time at a video game startup in Toronto. So what does yeah. that even mean? Can you just kind of go through what you're doing, how that came about, et cetera? Uh, sure. Yes. Yeah. So I, uh, started there a little while ago, a couple weeks ago, actually. And what we're putting together right now is sort of a, a sort of a 
a kids game we're thinking something about something about like kind of programming in a space and making it creative and being able to build your own things and uh, create something kind of awesome so we're not really actually sure totally what we're building yet we're still trying to figure it out we're playing around and making things and having a good time uh just just testing it out on people and seeing what's sticking and what's not sticking so that's kind of what we're up to um i'm doing all of the artwork essentially um so i'm in charge of of uh creating the designs for that creating the the feel trying to i'm doing a lot of listening to what they're talking about um all the programmers and figuring out what's happening there so so yeah. this is something really new for you how does it feel to be working for a couple of weeks on a video game startup doing all the art it's cool i mean it's great it's really fun there's a lot of work to do obviously but for the most part it's amazing i there's nothing bad to say about it at all everything about it is great um yeah so uh is there any specific thing you want to know about how this yeah. how this comes together yeah, well, some things that you mentioned just while you were talking about it, like you're throwing stuff against the wall, seeing what sticks. Um, did you start off, and it's a kid's game, did you start off with a specific niche or market in mind when you you were like, okay, like say for example, like, I don't know, kids eight to 10 educational gap, you know, like we want to create something that is a learning experience that teaches them grammar or something like that could be one thing. Like what is yeah. what is the thing that drove your team to create a kid's game? Well, I think initially it came from uh, Oname, who's the guy who kind of like brought us all together. And he's been really interested in kids learning technology for a long time. Um, and the last thing he did uh, was an application that tried to teach kids um, had a program as well on these little machines that, uh, like little robotics, he's a robotics engineer and, uh, that's sort of where we came together. So he had, are you familiar with the term of steam, uh, STEM, sorry, uh, science, technology, engineering, and, um, uh, mathematics. Uh, yeah. so that's just sort of this part of uh, learning that people are talking about right now, try to push on the kids because computers and whatnot are such a large part of everybody's life now. So that's initially what we came together to do, but we're not really trying to make a learning-based game necessarily. We want fun to be the very core uh, feeling of it. It's not really about being educational as much as uh, we want people to really enjoy ourselves with that kind of play style. Gotcha. Is this a is this a mobile game? I guess currently, right now, we're thinking mobile. Yeah. So yeah. how did so I guess how did the conversation start that? Uh, he came to you and was like, hey, John, like I'm working on this thing. Do you want to kind of quit everything you're doing and jump on ship? Like, how, how do you how do you how, explain that to me? <laughs> and also the emotional experience of, uh, I guess, mentally putting all of your eggs into this basket, too. Sure. Uh, so initially what happened was uh, all the same guys and some more of us went out for drinks uh, one day. Um, and we were just talking about stuff and I was doing freelance work at the time and was always looking to do more. And initially, uh, Oname had asked me if I wanted to do some freelance work for them. So I've, of course I said, yes. And then we had a meeting a couple weeks later, um, and we got together and he, instead of asking to do freelance, he actually asked me to come on board, which kind of took me a bit aback because I was expecting it just to be a standard uh you know let's discuss what you want and i'll fulfill that for you and instead it was something much better in a lot of ways but really surprised me because i was 
kind of thinking about a certain trajectory for a while, and it it uh, was quite surprising. Um, yeah, I was really kind of investigating whether or not I wanted to stick doing freelance for a while because it was always a bit of a dream, you know, it's always something that you, a lot of artists, at least I have, have always thought about, can I survive as a freelance person? Um, is it able, am I able to make a living doing it? Because it's can be very hairy when it comes to actually having sustainable income. And I was seem to be having a good go of it. So I was enjoying it. Um, although the hours can be quite hectic. Um, I, uh, uh, when, when we all, when we all got together, like the t initial team, um, over at, uh, creatables, which is where we're working now, when we all got together to discuss kind of what his vision was and just being with the guys again in that group was just too uh, magnetic and I, I didn't want to let it go. Nice, nice. Yeah. Um, so how long were you doing the freelance thing before this? Not very long, like a couple of months, frankly. Oh. Uh, and yeah, because uh, I what happened was I was working for another company and they had closed down. They, uh, they shuttered to use like a, a publishing term um and uh, they had just they were another startup and they had run out of uh the ceo couldn't find seed money to continue on um and they closed down the whole company we're all laid off and i needed to find cash so i just jumped headfirst into freelance and it really made a big difference uh it allowed me to um you know bring money in and because you know i've got a kid coming which is yeah crazy and uh so yeah it was pretty scary um for a little bit but then it became fun it became really enjoyable and uh, exciting you know yeah this is this is something i often think about because like from my experience i had a very stable career you know i had the salary the benefits like same job for years uh going freelance is something that very is very scary to me so how did you go from getting laid off to finding work right away did you start posting online that you're looking did you like go to like job board sites like upwork or whatever i don't know where to even like fiverr i don't know <laughs> how right. did you get these gigs well you know like stuff like fiverr i've thought about as well right like there's lots of places uh, i mean i've worked as an art director for a long time now so yeah. there was a lot of i've used these I've used a lot of these different places, like Creative Circle is one that I used in, in this particular instance. Since I worked with them before and hired other people through them, I just called them and asked them if they had any positions open to do anything, and they did, and I had work that, uh, two days later, um, which was good work. And it was also in the work I always wanted to do, which is concept art, which I'd always done with my job. Uh, um, you know, working in, in gaming, but it was always like a, a part of it, not the part of it, not the only thing I was doing. So this was a chance for me to just focus on concept art. And it was awesome. It was, it was absolutely fantastic. You know, it's a bit of a, I got a chance. It took me 10 years to convince someone to hire me to just do concept art. And I did it and it's great. And I can, I can move on now. <laughs> nice. So what are, what are some of just thinking about like the freelance thing that you did for a short while, what are some of the fears that kind of went away for you when you started freelance. Um, I'm just thinking like, I'm like in my mind, it's still kind of scary, but I know that a lot of people make a full career out of freelance. So switching from that stability to the freelance, what, what did you learn? 
Uh, I learned that freelance, uh, though it's it, you know, it can be really appealing, and you have a lot of freedom to kind of do what you want and come and go as you please. Uh, I mean, obviously, I think it's kind of obvious almost that there isn't a lot of stability. You know, you don't have vacations, you don't have uh, benefits. Uh, all of that stuff basically doesn't exist. So you have to take care of yourself. But that is also kind of what's joyous about it is that you have a chance to, um, uh, you know, fail on your own. And, and that's kind of nice. So you get to go out there and search for work, look for work, and it's cool. And then some days you also get those moments where you don't have anything to do and you, you just go swimming. You know, it's nice. <laughs> yeah. Nice. That does sound nice. Um, okay, so you also mentioned it took 10 years for you to convince somebody to do concept art. Let's backtrack a little bit and talk about your career because, uh, like, you didn't just wake up and suddenly you're working at a video game startup. Like, um, where did it all begin for you? What was the dream that propelled you to pursue video game concept art? Uh, well, I mean, concept art was something that I always wanted to do, but yeah, so... Because it, it, it really dovetailed well with what I was doing before, which was painting. Um, and So let's uh, start there. What, what propelled you into painting? Right. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I painted a lot when I was a kid because, uh, you know, let me think. So initially, you know, so initially I learned that I could draw when I was a little kid. And it, it, it differentiated me from everyone else. And I got noticed by girls. And all sorts of things like that. And I thought it was fantastic. And I really focused on it a lot. And then in high school, um, you know, I basically I just decided I wanted to start painting. I guess because I, I you know, I, I, I really I, I thought I was had something special to say about the world. And I really wanted to express it. And I wanted to do something different. So I did a lot of that. And I had a lot of inner turmoil and I always wanted to show it in some sort of way. And uh, and I also thought girls liked it. It was a lot of these different things. Uh, and I so I, you know, I hammered it really hard trying to get really good at painting. And that was the that was the core of that. And, you know, I was obsessed with Picasso and uh, Rembrandt and, uh, uh, you know, other people like that. Um, and then, you know, later on. And then comic book artists have always been a big part of my life too, like uh, Neil Adams and uh, Mobius and uh, a lot of other people like that. Yeah. So that's how I ended up doing that. Okay. So how did you go from painting to video games then? While I was an out of work painter. Uh, well, you went to OCAD, right? Is that right? Yeah, I went to, I went to OCAD and I, I had a great time. It was very fun. I kind of taught myself how to paint from a Boris Vallejo book. Uh, which was Boris Vallejo on painting. And you might know him, he's the big muscle man painter. He draws a lot of incredibly uh, a buff and swole uh, sort of uh, muscle people in fantasy backgrounds. And anyways, he had the clearest book on painting I'd ever read. And it was very straightforward. It had a very delineated process. So I used that because art schools, at least OCAD, isn't particularly uh, straightforward. They... They don't really believe in the idea, at least at that time, that painting had a, had a, a technical purpose. They thought, you know, you just experiment, you just throw anything at the at the wall and see if it's going to work or not. Um, traditionally, that's called kind of process-based painting. But I was interested in traditional 
process-based painting. So I taught myself how to do that. Um, and then I started to see successes um, consistently. And uh, okay, it was great. I met a lot of amazing people through there. Um, great, great artists, great painters, uh, a lot of not so bastards. It was great. Yeah, and then and then how did you dive from, you know, doing these amazing paintings, which I can see in the background of of uh, where you're sitting, yeah, to video to video games? Oh right. Sorry, what were you saying? That's a, the question. The question. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I guess yeah. So I was sort of out of work. Um, you know, paintings I couldn't sell them that often. You know, I uh, and I'd have good periods and bad periods. So eventually, I decided I needed to go. Um, and re-educate myself in some sort of way. I needed to find a business that uh, I could work in. And I thought about being a teacher for a while, and I was seriously considering that and going back to get um, a master's degree to teach or something. And then, um, and then it just sort of occurred to me that I remembered Sheridan College, and that was something that I really wanted to do. And I'd actually also applied for uh, a long time ago when I first went into school. And I was like, I either go to Sheridan or I'm going to go. I really didn't know. It was just an ignorant choice. Uh, it was like I was going to go to Sheridan or or uh, uh, OCAD. And uh, I got into Sheridan, but I didn't get into the animation program, which obviously I wouldn't have gotten into knowing what I know now. They just always put you into art fundamentals unless you're quite good, I suppose, because um, I was just right out of high school. And and uh, I guess I just went. I went to OCAD instead. I was like, all right, I'll I'll, I'll do painting instead. Um, but eventually, you know, I went back and went into computer animation, and uh, that was uh, that was probably the most life changing moment of my life. Was when when that happened, everything began to shift, and all of a sudden, all the things that all the the uh, um, uh, ineptitudes that I had in the art world turned into aptitudes. Um, and everything began to sort of uh, change. Yeah. So how did it did it feel very natural to pick up the skills you needed to get where you are now? I guess when you were shooting. Yeah, I I wasn't sure because I was a luddite, right? Like I was, I didn't know much about computer animation. I didn't know much about computers. I didn't know much. Uh, like I hadn't really used. I had a stylus because I had colored a comic that I had made uh, previous to that. And, uh, but that's pretty much all I really knew how to do. And I barely knew how to use it. I knew how to Photoshop a little bit, but not much. And then at Sheridan, I learned an awful lot and uh, it was kind of a struggle, but I figured it out. And then um, I got my first job after the industry day. Um, one of the companies called Big Blue Bubble was by, and they're a really great little company, um, uh, very creative stuff. And they were doing a game called iCarly uh, I joined the click, which was, you know, they were doing that for Activision and it's, uh, really, I think a, a bad game. Um, it's really not great. And, but it's not really for me. Maybe I'm not the right person to talk about it, but there was also a, a viral thing on Reddit about that. Actually, there was, uh, a, uh, a, a picture of a giant container full of used iCarly to I joined the click games that uh, got very it was going around reddit once and that was and I helped make that game that was the first game I ever made was that game um and I came on there as a junior uh junior uh you know game artist is what they call us and I think I got the job because they liked my paintings they thought they were digital paintings um <laughs> but they weren't so <laughs> I, and I, I told them that I could do it, and I, I actually didn't really know how to do it. 
Um, but I just said I did. And it, kind of, it was fine. Uh, the first hairy day at work was when, you know, I, I didn't actually get a chance to do any actual, like, uh, digital painting for some time. And then finally, when uh, it did come up to that moment, uh, it took me three three shots at it. And then I, I think I got the, the hang of it. It wasn't that hard once you're doing it. Well, you already had so much experience in real life. So I guess it was transferable. If you don't mind, how, like, when you first started working for this, like, entry-level position, what was the salary like? Oh, it was, it was a, it was a paltry uh, 35000 a year. And, yeah. and how long ago was this? This was in 2010. This was in ah. 2010. Yeah. My first, my first job offer for uh, an insurance company in Waterloo was thirty-eight thousand in two thousand and twelve. Right. Okay. So I guess entry-level jobs are always they always suck. <laughs> I didn't end up taking that one. I got a, a much better offer for uh, a company I ended up working for in Toronto. But yeah, I was just curious. Thanks for sharing. Um, but like, I also know that you mentioned ahead of time that in our pre-chat that things were often a struggle for you. You were also working like at a bar, living in a basement. Was this during school or was this during your video game years? It was during school and it was a bit during the video game years because there was there was some, there was times where like, so I left uh, Big Blue Bubble to try out TV. Um, mm -hmm. And I went to Pipeline Studios after that um, to work on uh, the adventures of Chuck and Friends. And that was, uh, uh, and I was going to work as a technical director there. Um, and, uh, but they kept me on doing other things, nice people there. And that was, uh, that was a bit crazy. And that didn't last, that lasted, I think about a year and a half. And then eventually, um, I got laid off again. And then it took a while to find another steady gig. Um, and that came again from people that I had met at Big Blue Bubble. Um, yeah. And it, it's steadily, it always seems that way that the, the, the way you get more work is just from knowing people 90%. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, if there's one big learning that I've had from this podcast, it's that it's, if you know someone, you have work basically. Yeah, um, that's, that's it. So it sounds like you've been like, I don't mean this in a bad way, but laid off, uh, I guess multiple times. Do you feel like every time it happens do you feel kind of like worried and scared and like just try to scramble to pick yourself back up or do you feel like even stability in over the years of taking those different roles even though that you know that you might reach the end of funding or something i mean it's just i think it's just a sort of reality of of uh, the type of work that it is uh you know, I've, I've lucked out in that I haven't had to travel much out of the city. Um, I haven't had to take a lot of work and, and go find a lot of work like a lot of people have and a lot of friends of mine have. Um, you know, stability is great. Stability would be amazing. But, yeah, when it does happen, something kind of clicks in where you just go into survival mode, I suppose. And you have to find a way to uh, to bring in a an equivalent income to what you were doing before. Um, you know, sometimes being unemployed is really great. You know, if you don't have a lot, you don't have a lot of expenses. It's just in its summertime, you get to enjoy yourself a bit. Yeah. Uh, I guess. What's the worst, what's the worst situation you've been in 
um, I guess looking back over your career and schooling and everything, where it was the toughest to kind of press forward? Financially speaking, or what do you mean? Just in general, maybe it's financial, maybe it's stress, maybe like, did you ever want to give up or like, um, I don't know. No, I don't think there was ever a moment that was all that bad uh, in that sense of like losing work, for instance, like, like what it's the, the most it's ever been is like two months, you know, it's really not the end of the world. Uh, but, you know, like, I think the worst time ever has been was was after um, I finished my book. I think that was the worst time ever. Now, there, there was there was it was also a great time because I had met Karen around that time. And uh, that's uh, became my wife later on. And that was amazing. But creatively speaking, I had I had really s- sapped myself dry. Like I would just I just fucked myself over somehow. And I didn't know what had happened. So basically, I was really extremely burnt out from doing the book because it was like such a massive amount of, of energy to get it done on top of working. And then um, and I had basically turned every other aspect of my creative life into a commercial uh, venture of some sort. And I, I think I, I felt like there was a good two or three years where I had nothing, almost two years, I think, where I had nothing to give creatively anymore. That was, it didn't feel derivative, didn't feel like I was just sort of do it, going through the motions. Um, and it, you know, it took a lot of soul searching to come up with what it was that I had, uh, that I had lost. And uh, I sort of came out of it while I was working at um, Time Play because I started uh, uh, hiring um, younger artists uh, and sort of learning a lot of new things from them. And I kind of found that what, for me, what's important is uh, a process and learning new processes and learning new techniques. And I had kind of like, just let that go, I guess. I was like, whatever, I think I've learned all I need to learn, I think. And that was a detrimental perspective for me. And now I've learned that there's a different way of, uh, it's good to have new things. And I I brought in students that I I felt challenged me and I was a little scared even of having them work for me because I thought they were so talented and I wanted to be, uh, I want to be shook up and it, and it really made all the difference. Yeah. So I guess thinking about everything you just mentioned, you're having a daughter coming up. What is like one of the life lessons you want to teach her through your whole journey of like going to OCAD and thinking you wanted to do painting to then finding video games and all this stuff. My God, I don't know. What do I want to, what do I want her to know? I want her to be, I want her to be creative and interested in life. Um, uh, Sciences, I think are very important. I like to push that with her. Uh, I don't have a, I don't have a good, line for that like you know some i just wanted to grow up uh, happy and smart i suppose and and uh if i can instill some creativeness in her life i think that would be good too wow, yeah. I, think that's, I think that's perfect <laughs> um sorry to i guess swipe that in uh, at you but uh, <laughs> i i don't know i don't know i i hope to, i don't know there's a lot of questions there yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to keep asking more because this is an interview. <laughs> I will tell you if you're hired at the end or whatever position I don't have to offer. Um, so one thing we haven't chatted about is like your actual career 
I guess, in video games. And, and for me, um, you kind of have the like a very interesting perspective in your career in video games because um, you've done the like video games for brands or video games as advertisements versus oh, yeah. when people think about video games, they're thinking like uh, EA games, Blizzard, all that stuff. So yeah, can you give me cool shit? They don't think the cool shit. Well, you're still doing cool shit. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. talk about, can you kind of sum up, I guess, your view on these video games and your career in this, first of all, just so I guess people are clear. Right. So I guess so not a lot of people, I mean, Okay, so what I've termed this thing that I've worked in is I call it advert gaming. And it's uh, a type of video game that essentially exists. It doesn't need to actually make money in a lot of ways. It essentially just needs to fill a space and be noticed in that space for a period of time because it's paid for by another company essentially just to exist as a form of advertising. Um, and it's existed for a long time. It's existed since uh, the Nintendo um, it's existed probably before that. I just can't think of an example. Like there was a game. There's from... a McDonald's Nintendo game where you had to like run around and like yes. I don't know, something with burgers. And then there's like this weird recycling level, if you know what I'm talking about. Right. Yeah. Because they want to tell you that the brand isn't very cares about the environment, right? Like they, yeah, they're ridiculous games. Uh, like there's a Noid game. Uh, Domino's Pizza yes. had a character called the Noid. He was in Family Guy. Oh my gosh! I, I it was called Yonoid, and you had a yo-yo. Yo. It was like one of those few games I grew up on, and really it's impossible. I had to. I finally downloaded it on like an emulator from my computer later, and like put every cheat on it just to get to the last level. Like, is it that my hard? My brother and I would play it for hours and never get past like the circus level. <laughs> I didn't. I don't remember how far I got, but I thought that game was like actually good. Like, actually a good game. Yeah, but, the music's good. I, I can think of it right now. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. And then there's Cool Spot, which is another example yes. of it. And then there's Pepsi Man is another one. Uh, that was for the PS1. And that's about a giant Pepsi Man. Um, who did that? Angry Video Game Nerd did one on uh, Pepsi Man. Uh, I haven't watched that. I'm gonna, I love his stuff. I'm going to have to go and look that up. Yeah, and then there's... Um, Right, and then I think I I think you could probably throw in, uh, you know, other other properties like stuff where people basically uh, paid for it, like something like um, like Batman games. I think at one point you could say they were they were they could be lumped into the same thing. There's less risk in making a game that's in, that's you know um, a licensed IP than for an original IP. You know the yeah. They fall within a certain range on the on the on the financial graph. They rarely they rarely go below a certain point where you where you lose your shirt. And as long as you don't spend that much money on it, you'll make your profit back. But they will rarely get to a point where they go completely over the top and um, make a fortune like uh, you know like Fortnite or Mario or any of the games that we all know about that are giant successes. But there's there's a finally you know there's times where they're amazing like GoldenEye is an example of an amazing game, the Batman series is an amazing series and things have changed now, but there was a period of time when property games were kind of trash you know like the first oh god the first Ninja Turtles game was just terrible just a terrible piece of crap and nobody cared but then eventually people started to care. 
but those like comic books lend themselves good to other media, you know, like, uh, have you heard of Marvel movies? They seem to be doing okay. Um, and, uh, yeah. So essentially, yeah. So that's, that's kind of where I'd like to define the zone of what an advert gaming content essentially is. So what I've done for a long time, like the last company I worked for was called Timeplay, and they, uh, now some of the listeners may not know, but time, if they're Canadian, they might know it, at Cineplex Cinemas across Canada, before the movie starts, you play games uh, with your phone that connect to the movie screen, and that's called Timeplay, and I worked for them and was their, uh, uh, the person that did all of their uh, custom game content. So whenever there was a game that was paid for by an advertiser, my team put that game together. Um, so we made games for Chevy Chevrolet cars. We made games for uh, winners. We made games for Goldfish Crackers. We made games for uh, Telus. Um, there, was, there was a lot of silly games. Yeah, I've, I've played probably all of them. Maybe, maybe all of them. <laughs> so what was your direct involvement? Like you and your team, what was your specific, like 90% of your daily tasks doing? Uh, well, you know, it was structured in different phases. Initially, it would be, uh, we would brainstorm ideas um, for the client or with the client, uh, which would usually be an ad agency. Um, and then there would be, we discussed different levels of involvement. They'd either have a team that would make the game, um, and then we would integrate all the assets. They never programmed the game, but they would often have their own production teams. So there would be times where my team would essentially just be there to put the graphics within the engine, um, uh, make them ready, or we would do all of the work to uh, uh, make the game, which would be liaisoning with the client to um make sure everything was working well which is the way they liked it um yeah and then and then so essentially we were just in charge of the full uh process in a lot of ways i love yeah. that you just said liaison because that's like such a a businessy word <laughs> that i don't hear anymore kind of thing there it's very businessy you know that gaming is very businessy like we were trying to make a fun thing but essentially it didn't really matter all that much you know, it didn't, it just needed to get their attention for a brief period of time. Right. So a brand pays time play to get screen time in front of the viewers and the audience, basically. Not that, not actually, that's not really how it works. Really what the, the, the brand pays Cineplex. Cineplex. And then we build the content for them. Gotcha. So yeah. how, um, you said it's very businessy. How, uh, I guess often do people switch from like uh, advert gaming to uh, what people think regular gaming is like Fortnite and stuff. Do people switch back and forth? I mean, I think I think it's yeah, I think it happens all the time. Like uh, like I'm being very broad with the term. Like this advert yeah. gaming thing that I fell into doing this. Like it was the the only time that it was so explicit in my career. Every other time it's been. Um, like the first time, which is we're making on the iCarly game, which is just a, um, a licensed property. But that was really, uh, I mean, I think it almost falls within the same tier in a certain sense. Um, but companies will make these games, right? So they can keep yes. the studio doors open and they can continue to have a good time. Um, sometimes they're hits. 
and and then sometimes they're not you know like it 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 sort of depends and a lot of studios make these types of products you know and some studios specifically make them just so they can uh uh keep the studio going um but i think the one that i happen to be working in isn't particularly common i don't think you see a lot of, i don't know exactly where a lot of other spaces like that exist I, I think maybe in agencies i've been looking to see if these things do exist in other places like maybe there are a, other agencies that exist that just primarily only do interactive content and you see it once in a while with like apps and that's kind of generally where these things fall now or app games and other stuff like that but yeah 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 i, I wanted to ask you about that because because like from a uh, outsider's perspective, it almost seems like so many studios are creating apps and games and stuff. Like how in here in Toronto, how many studios, I guess, do you know of kind of dabble in that area? Tons. I don't know. Tons. <laughs> so, so does that mean that there's a lot of opportunity to, to work in that if you wanted to get into video games? Oh yeah, I think so. Yeah. There is a lot of opportunities. Yeah. There's, there's tons. Um, you know, UX artists, UX designers tend to come from illust the illustration backgrounds as well. There's one of my good friends, and she's a, a very successful UX artist, did animation at, uh, uh, illustration at, at Sheridan, and the animation program as well. So there's, um, yeah, there's a lot of crossover all over the place for artists and animators, because everything is motion now. Everything needs to be animated. Everything, there's, it's just a mountain of work now. So I guess, um, what is the kind of career path that somebody could expect once they are getting in there? Like you mentioned, there's UX, you do concept art and also like art and there's development. Um, like if somebody's coming out of school, for instance, where would be a good place to start? Oh my God, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, really, uh, yeah, there's, there is, I mean, I guess you just have to follow the lines of where you're, interests lie and you know if you can get your foot in the door somewhere um you can go in any number of directions it's true you so can. maybe you start as like i don't know uh ux and then you move up to like art director or like ux director and then after that like is there is there like kind of a clear path like i know you've worked with a team and you're kind of working with a team right now but i don't know i just have no idea what it's like right i mean there's uh I mean, most of the time, I imagine you would get your foot in the door. You would be some sort of designer, uh, or you know, you could be a motion designer, or you could come in as uh, a game artist, which is you know, you would take you would model things, and and um, you know, game artists tend to be uh, a kind of generalists in a lot of sense. So uh, they would be asked to be able to model and texture and animate. Not all of them at the same level. Um, sometimes some artists have better abilities than others. I mean, obviously specialists tend to be a lot better, um, but uh, they can, I mean, UX is a place where um, UX designers can end up in a higher position than art directors. UX is a very uh, important role these days. Um, and UX designers have a massive influence on the world in a lot of sense. So there's, uh, they're very prestigious jobs and they pay very well. Um, and then, um, and art directors, yeah, there's, you know, art directors in the gaming industry in some senses are, exist more as directors, uh, like a, almost like a film, I suppose. But uh, a, 
Um, it's not a one-to-one uh, comparison now that I think about it. But then there's, uh, uh, yeah. Um, I mean, art directors, let's say, in advertising industry are like, there's tons of them. Like, there's like always a million art directors, you know. Um, so it's, uh, there's different terms for all these different slight nuances in different industries that are all relatively the same word that means slightly different things. Right. So, so yeah. what would be a good skill set to have? Like, uh, I guess for modeling and stuff, you'd need Maya or 3D Max. Um, for UX, you'd need some like design principles and maybe like coding, I guess, too, when it comes to like, I don't know, uh, Python or Java or HTML or something. Like what What would make a, like who knows? I don't know. <laughs> uh, skill sets. Uh, drawing is probably the most important skill set that I think exists in the world, um, that aside from writing uh, or uh, or programming. So if you can program, if you can write code, that's crazy right now. Like you can get so much work. Writing is also very great, um, especially now that it seems like everything is going to turn into automation. Um, but then uh, being able to draw, my God, is that ever useful? It's so useful. Um, so I'd say that's the, that's the elemental skill for designers is being able to draw. You don't have to draw like, um, you know, uh, Mobius to continue to work, you know, as long as you can draw pretty well, um, that's pretty great and you can clearly show your ideas. But like skills, like if everybody uses Photoshop, I mean, that's incredible. Uh, 3D modeling, I, I, I don't really care what application people use as long as they're able to be agnostic about that stuff and jump around from application to application. Um, I think UX is one of these things now where people get really picky, right? Because it's such a hot, hot one that people get kind of picky about which software you're doing. Uh, so sometimes you know, um, there's and there's lots of really great software actually for that. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's all over the place, I guess. Uh, what what is question? UX software like? What is I've never I don't know if I've heard of UX software before. Oh, there's like I mean, there's XD. What's uh, that's the one I use because I'm not UX triple L sideways uh, Z. Yeah. What's it, one of them? I, I'm trying to remember the name of some of them. Let me let me look it up right now. Uh, I use XD, which isn't like the most loved one. I used it because um, uh, because I f could figure out how to use it very fast, and it did the trick. Um, but there's a lot of different software that people are up using that is much better. Um, yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of it. Uh, here, UX software. <laughs> Google.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if you can't, if you can't find them, it's, it's totally all right. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Anyways, yeah. What a, a frame framer. There's one. Yeah, that one's apparently hard to use, but great. Okay. Uh, yeah. Framer XD. All right. Fair enough. Um, so something else that I kind of wanted to chat about you, with you because I, I hope and think you're willing and it's something I haven't really touched on yet is kind of like the salary, how to get a raise, how to value yourself as an artist, know you're not getting taken advantage of, that kind of side of things because um, being in school we're warned a lot about like signing contracts or signing away IPs or uh, just like signing for the sake of 
like working on something exciting without thinking of the repercussions of what you're actually giving up. Um, so let's, can we chat about that a little bit? I don't know. Like, what is your experience yeah. with all sure. of this? What is your, what is your like, uh, theory or like, uh, outlook on, on this, I guess, this topic. Right. Um, yeah, that's, it's kind of interesting stuff. Um, so I think that, uh, Number one, like asking for a raise, I think is really difficult. I think a lot of people struggle with it. Um, oh, sure. And in, in any industry, people struggle for it. Yeah. And for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 a tough question, right? Because you don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to end up in a situation where they think that you're not um, uh, happy, I guess, or even or you're ungrateful for what you have. But I think there's like I think there are strategies to make it to make it effective. And there's lots of different ones you can play and you can even play, uh, you can get to the point where you almost play mind games in a certain sense that can be really beneficial for you. Um, and it, but it just like, I think the most important thing 90% of the time is just leverage. Um, like you have to be put, you have to put yourself in a position where you can happily walk away. If, if you're, if it's that important to you. Yeah. Uh, and it almost always works out for you to a certain degree. Like for instance, I remember, um, I think the first time I asked for a raise, it just sort of, I just got it like, and it wasn't really a big deal. I, I remember being nervous and I talked to, um, the creative director at the company I was at and I was like, look, I, I would like to make more money and possibly get a title change. And he was like, yeah, sure. And it worked out and everything was fine. Wait, 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 wait. So, okay, so I have two questions there. Number one, why did you want to make more money in a title change? Well, does that need to even be answered? Doesn't everybody want to make more money? Well, like, how, well, like, well of course, but like how far into the job were you? Did you feel frustrated with how much you were making? Where you reached a point where you were happy and you thought, you know, I need to get to the next level? Like, what brought about your courage to ask for the raise in the first place? I think I had been there for a better year maybe a year. I don't remember exactly, but I think I had been there for a year and it was obvious that I was doing the work for the title. I wanted to be a, a art director at this point. And it was obvious that I had, I was the one in charge of everything. So I wanted to at least have that title and it was, it wasn't a problem. And I had been there long enough. And I think if you're there for a year, you should probably at least try to get a raise a year. Um, well, you hundred you hundred percent should because just inflation goes up. So if you don't yeah. if you yeah. don't get a raise every year, you actually make less money every year by like exactly. exactly. I think it's like three percent. If you don't get like a three percent raise, inflation goes up by three percent. So you have to go three percent. Okay. Yeah. At right. least. At least. So, so yeah, you should have inflationary increases every year. Maybe double that if you can. <laughs> I no, it's, it's a good rule. Like it's a yeah. But that's a well, that's actually a, that's actually a thing. Like if you look that up, um, like the city of Toronto actually like publishes how much cost of living went up every year, and a lot of companies yeah. will use that. Yeah. As it's called an inflationary increase. Right. Um, the first company I worked for uh, did that, and that's where I learned about it. So my second question, I guess, which you kind of already answered, was if you got the raise so easily, then like were they undervaluing the work you were doing and do you think you would have gotten that raise if you didn't ask for it no i don't think you i don't think you almost ever get a raise if you don't ask for it i mean i think there's, I you. 
Yeah, I think there's I think there's moments when you might. I mean, certain companies have good structures and they have, but sometimes good structures can be limiting as well because there's pay bans and they think, well, there's certain people that are that receive certain increases based on the position they have, and you know, what we don't. A, pay what, is a, what is it? So sorry, I don't know what a pay ban is, but like from my experience in the business world, like most companies have a yearly review, like when like um the year end comes around and the profits are like figured out and the revenue and everything and then like the shareholders are paid off whatever and then they figure out how much the company is going to get everybody in the company is going to get increased is that how it is in a in a video game studio or like yeah i mean there's certain it depends on the companies really and how they structure themselves every company is different and some companies uh do things differently and yeah yearly reviews are probably the best way to make sure that you do get a, a you know a, an increase but not every company i mean they'll say they'll do sometimes they say they do yearly reviews but they don't really do yearly reviews like they a lot of companies don't a lot of companies just they're just flying by the hip and they're just hoping everything <laughs> keeps going so what what is a pay ban does that mean they just are like nobody's A band basically means there's different positions different positions are graded differently and there's a top uh, that's all it means so yeah. like an it person will top out at a certain amount and then uh you know a, a designer a graphic designer might get a certain amount and but then an executive will top out i would imagine considerably higher but then um that's normally how i think that's i think that's how a lot of those places work it's yeah. not a percent but okay so um so one thing that I have noticed and also do with myself is it's very hard to put a, va- a, a dollar value on the art that I'm producing because it comes from a very personal place. Um, I, yes. I know that, sorry? It's totally hard. It's very Yeah, difficult. so I don't, like, I don't know what to price something. So like I see a lot of my, my friends on Instagram doing like commissions, for instance, and sometimes they'll be like, uh, like full body plus color is like $25 plus like if you want a background, it's 15 bucks. I don't know, something like that. To me, that seems like, okay, if I'm going to, it takes me like three hours and I'm getting paid 75 bucks. Like, is that, is that worth like, uh, sure, it's 25 bucks an hour. But like, how do I know what my value is as an artist and my time being spent, especially working in a studio where I don't really know what everybody else is making? It's hard yeah. to ask for a raise. Yeah, um, and, and, and the, the culture is set up so uh, people don't talk about it. Um, yeah, it's taboo. Yeah, it's very taboo. And, you know, and it would be in the benefit of everybody, I believe, if that was open so everybody can negotiate openly, but it's uncomfortable. Um, and pricing your own work is very, very hard. Um, I mean, I especially commercial work as well because uh, – you know there's a standard there. You know it exists somewhere. Um, you just don't know where to look for it. Every year, there's every year though prices are up for what graphic designers and I mean broadly termed designers uh, or animators or all of us that essentially work in the visual arts um, make is published, and we are it is relatively transparent to see how much people make. So where can I, where can I find that? I have a, there's one, there was recently a survey that just came out, so I'll send that to you. Um, oh, amazing. Yeah, that I, it was just pouring over, and it's quite interesting seeing some of the statistics that exist in the world, like animators, sorry, uh, uh, illustrators apparently make the, the least 
out of every creative uh, in the visual arts. Um, but apparently they are the happiest. So that's uh, good for them. Um, um, yeah. UX designers apparently get paid some of the most, but are the least happy. So, huh. yeah. Take your money and shove it. Huh? Yeah, I'd be very interested to see that is. I mean, obviously, it's like averages. So, like, I'm sure yeah. there are happy UX designers and miserable illustrators. But, yeah, that's super... I would I'm I would love to like see that and be able to share it too. That would be great. Yeah, it's very interesting stuff. So I will share it. Uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's super interesting. There's um, you know, there's a lot of methods for deciding what your work is is worth. I think essentially, you know, just ask for as much as you can. I think that's essentially it. Like like try not to like what is a good income? What is a good hourly wage today? You know, like. Uh, eighty dollars is a, an hour is a good hourly wage today, you know. So if it takes you three hours to do something, ask for uh, two hundred and forty dollars. You know, I think that's reasonable. I don't think that's shocking. I think that's what you're worth. I think that a, that if anybody working at that will, will if they price that way, then all of us will make more money in the long run. And we'll all be happier and we'll all be able to, because what we do is very difficult. It's very hard. It's time consuming. The reason why people are asking you to do it is because they can't do it. And, uh, you know, you wouldn't see, uh, you know, you wouldn't see almost anybody else in any other industry doing that to themselves. We're the only reason why we do it to ourselves is because we love doing it. Um, I'm guessing these others hate their jobs that much that they are only willing to do it for money. They won't do it for any other reason. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I've never heard of anybody being like, you know what, I, I, um, I want to become a very, I want to have a very lucrative career, so I'm going to go into animation specifically. Like nobody, nobody does that. You go into, like, yeah. can you imagine? Um, yeah. So, okay, crazy. so, so I want to get paid eighty dollars an hour. That sounds good. Um, how do I find a job if, for instance, like your starting job was like $35,000? I'm assuming it's maybe a little bit more over the last like 10 years. Maybe yeah, I, job yeah. like I want to get into specifics of that stuff, but I'm doing very well now and I'm very happy. No, 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 I, mean, I don't mean like you specifically, but like say I want an entry level job. How do I, how do I price myself at $80 an hour? Like, Oh yeah, I was thinking specifically in that instance about people like freelancers that are yeah okay I see like that's a very specific thing. Uh, these larger businesses obviously price things in very different ways, um, and it's almost non-negotiable in a certain sense. Uh, they're they're um, especially when you're entering. I mean, entering a, a job is the is I, I, sorry I, I'm going to backtrack with that now. I feel dumb for saying it. There's, uh, it's also the best time when you're starting a new job to negotiate that stuff because that's where your baseline is going to be for where you talk about next time. But if you're entering into a job and it's your first time working in the industry, you basically have to take whatever they give you. Yeah. Like, it's basically it. I mean, um, it's very hard to get your first job in the industry, I think. I think that's probably the toughest thing. Um, because like no one's gonna trust you. You don't know anybody yet. You don't have any friends. You, uh, nobody, you don't have any friends. <laughs> you don't have any friends. You don't know if someone's gonna. If you don't know. They don't know if you're a coke addict or something. They don't know if you've you've got real bad issues. So they 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 just won't give you a shot. So and nobody gives anybody a shot. Yeah. So you basically just have to take whatever you can get, and that's the 
that is the sad part about the first job. Uh, but your second job and your third job, um, you have negotiating power. You can always just move up and basically just look at those forms that say this is what the average uh, person makes and, uh, you know, go by that. And no, you know, you shouldn't go below that. And if they're asking you to it, uh, to, then maybe the job isn't worth it. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess that's it. Uh, but yeah, I think mostly my concern always comes down to like freelancers and freelancers are essentially uh, younger freelancers are under, under charging. I think, you know, there's a great subreddit that I, I look at all the time. Um, artists for hire, I think it's called or something. And I like looking at it, and the artists there are always amazing, and the stuff is always so cheap. My God, is it ever cheap? Just incredible prices, like twenty-five dollars for a full, you know, illustration or something, character illustration like that is. Wow. Do you do you think that comes out of a place of uh, I don't know if desperation is the right word, but just wanting wanting to do work? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you hundred percent. You're right. And it even, maybe even desperation, <laughs> you know, like you want to do it. You just want to do it and you want to get the portfolio stuff out there and you want to keep working. You don't want to do your stupid job, uh, you know, working at anything. It could be a good job even. You just want to be an artist and it's understandable. It's, it's, uh, it's can be really tough. It can be very, very tough. But um, I think over time you'd have to really focus on that. Um yes. And there's a different world. There's different worlds too, and there's different levels of clients. And you know, most clients that you meet don't have any money, and, and it's just the way it is. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so it, the client doesn't have any money. Don't take that job. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it's I, I, that is kind of how it is. Like, look at you look at the world of graphic design, where you know there's there's a gulf of different levels, right? You look at you know one guy's got a client who's a mom and pop organization, and they want a logo. And then there's another guy that has that's working with Coca-Cola. And, you know, that guy that's working with the mom and pop, is he going to charge Coca-Cola $45 to do a logo? You know, and that's the that and that what is that worth? Right. What is the logo worth? What is your work worth? Now, let's assume that the guy doing the Coca-Cola stuff and the person doing the work for um, the mom and pop are equally as talented. Let's imagine they're both the same. They have the same quality of work and it's totally believable it's just that one maybe is savvier than the other and had, knows how to talk about it and i think really that's where it comes down to is just that difference and that's where our values come is you have to see who you're working with and you have to see the larger picture of the of the company you're you're working for and you have to be able to realize who they are what they're about and um kind of what their, I guess, what their, their value of their company is worth, right? Startups are kind of easy, right? Because whatever the investors have put in, that's essentially that's the value of the company. And you can know, you know, if your value gives a certain amount of growth that year, then you can put a percentage on that growth. And you know that you've brought maybe 10% growth, which is extreme, 10% growth to a company that's worth, you know, $50 million dollars. That's an extra $5 million that was made that year. And then you can value yourself according to that. And you can say, like, well, I'm surely worth another $10,000. Yeah. Right? I got you $5 million, so maybe you can, like, flip a coin at me. Yeah, uh, it's, it's all kind of, like, mysterious. <laughs> yeah, that's that's interesting because, like, it's, it's easy to have, like, glowing, starry eyes with, like, dollar signs in them. 
when you get any client work, but being able to understand the value that you're giving that client, like the mom and pop shop versus like Coca-Cola, I think that's a very, that's, that's like the business kind of side of things and how you can end up taking a lot of poor projects that don't pay you well and you run yourself dry. You Not really isn't, there isn't yeah. value in doing mom and pop stuff. I'm just kind of being facetious, but yeah. No, right. Yeah, you're right. So, okay, so like we're talking a little bit about the startup thing, is, which is what I wanted to circle back into because right now, like I'm a student at Sheridan College, which is amazing. All my classmates uh, are like super talented. Yeah. And we all have this dream of like, going through this extremely rigorous program, picking up and learning like amazing skills, and then hoping that 1% chance that we get hired after school by like a studio right away at like an entry level position. And then we can like start our career to work ourselves up to like the dream, right? Like you spend so much time building up all this trust just to get into the industry. I'm saying like the trust is like going through the Sheridan College program to get into the industry. Whereas like, what is stopping uh, me or like another classmate or somebody who's not even in school right now from kind of doing the route that you are currently in, which is, you know, recognizing, finding people that recognize you have talent and joining a startup or joining not even a startup, just a, a company that wants to like pay you for your talent, I guess. Like do like how do how do how do we get into that scenario that you're in right now, I guess? Uh, so what that was you, a very convoluted, convoluted way to say things. I'm saying like, how do, <laughs> <laughs> how do, how do, say for instance, how do I get into a startup right now with the work that I want to do? Uh, like, like you as like a, uh, like a claymation guy, you mean? Like, like or just any of my skills. Any, any yeah. Skill. Like a claymation guy, for instance, like. Uh, say, say, or like, uh, let's take your role because that's maybe a little bit easier for you to explain. Somebody who wants to do concepts, video game art, how do they, how do they get into a startup? I mean, into a startup. I mean, that's it's a different sort of situation. Like, they're, uh, I guess, they're. It's kind of who you know in a certain sense. Yeah. Really, it comes down to like, let's say you're a bunch of people who are in school together. Let's say there's like three of you or something like that. I mean, to make a video game, you're going to need uh, a programmer. Um, you don't, if you have a programmer, you probably don't need an artist. It's not necessary to have a successful game if you have a programmer. Programmers are the elemental figure there. And you also don't even need a, uh, like a money guy. You don't need somebody that knows business. I mean, it helps, uh, but... Um, you don't need that person in video games. All you really need is one good programmer. That's all. That's all it's ever been about, and it's all it will ever be about. Uh, thank God. Um, and then, but you know, sixty percent of the audience buys games that they like the look of. So you know that means you get to hire an artist, and uh, and an artist and a programmer together, they can have a hit game too, and they can come together. Now, a startup, of course, you know, classically speaking, they need a, a investors to help out with that. And in, that's, in that case, you know, it, it's good to have a, a money person that understands that sort of thing. You know, a friend that is you trust that comes from a background of, uh, you know, of accounting or something like that, that 
gets the, all the laws and nuances associated with starting a company. Um, and I think with those three people, essentially, you could have you could have any kind of startup you want, and I think you could do quite well. Um, so yeah, get your buddy that's in accounting, get your your friend that's the artist and the programmer, and you guys got you know you guys got the all the makings of having a hit game. Gotcha. So also an idea, I guess. Yeah. So step one: be be a programmer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the programming—that's that's the one. How that's do you how do you convince people to invest in your idea, or where do you find people to conv- to convince to invest in your idea? Oh God, I have no idea. That's not that's above my pay grade. That's for certain. Well, I guess I guess what I'm saying is, or what I'm trying to like get to is like, it's like the industry has changed so much just over the last like five years that like just small groups of people can do amazing things and you don't you don't need like a full studio and everything behind you so no no no. yeah so like i i really value that you and like just a handful of people are creating something that i'm sure will be submashing hit um but yeah so i guess be a programmer or just be friends with a programmer and just create something together and then put it out there and see what happens yeah i think that's it and you know there yeah you're right the industry's changed a lot you know um yeah and the companies the publishers and the companies have really come to come down to the level of the average person now the average uh programmer uh, you know at first everybody was you know a lot of indie games were coming out you know the steam didn't exist for a long time and now steam exists and but there was a lot of uh, uh development teams were complaining because you know they, they would talk to microsoft and then microsoft essentially would say would treat them like they're a giant company and there's like look i'm not a giant company i'm i'm just a person i'm, I'm one person and they'd be like well we don't know how to talk to you how do you communicate with a person? We can only communicate to entities and to people that represent us, uh, represent another thing, not an actual person. Yeah. So it's, it's it's changed a lot. You're right. So yeah, anybody could do it. You know, <clears throat> it's, it's probably the easiest time in history to just make a game and push it out there. Uh, you know, it's also one of the worst times because there's a million games. So it's a push and a pull. You can make it. But will you get noticed? That's a different story because there's so much out there. Have you figured out the secret formula to uh, make a successful game? No idea. No idea. No idea. <laughs> I don't. Funny. I don't know. I mean, I have no idea. I just. I. I hope it's gonna. I'm just gonna stick to my corner and try as hard as possible to make it great. Um, and I'll let other people worry about that stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm just gonna it's gonna be myopic about this sort of thing because it's you, I, I don't really know exactly how to make a perfect game. I don't I don't really know. It's not really my thing. I'm I'm a I'm a graphics person, you know. Uh, the the gameplay I think is other people know games better than I do. Other people know what is fun for other people better than I do. I'm just a person that knows what the things look nice. And that's it. Fair enough. And uh, sorry about my extremely convoluted and confusing way to ask you that last question. <laughs> Are you embarrassed by that? Uh, I I just fe- I felt the need to like clarify because I <laughs> I like started on a tangent and then realized halfway that I was going on the wrong tangent and then tried to circle oh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, I apologize too. I think I went on a bad tangent before as well, and 
I apologize for that one too. I don't think it was my best work. Apologies all around. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, I'm not going to edit any of this out because that would take more work. <laughs> um, well, I think I think that kind of sums up everything I wanted to chat about with you. Is there anything else you wanted to share at this point? Uh, you know, I just want people to know that I'm, I'm working on an interesting project right now, and uh, it's going to be pretty cool. I'm working on um, a remake of issue 17 of The Sandman, which is a comic book uh, that came out by Neil Gaiman and Kelly yeah. Jones um, in the 19, around 1985 or 6, 7? I can't remember. And it's an amazing issue, so I'm recreating that thing right now, and uh, you can follow it on my blog. Uh, which is at uh, littlejohnart.com. Um, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Other than that, I'll let you know when the game is out and we have more things like that. Um, and if you have any other questions at all, let's let's chat. I think mean, this is fun. This is cool. Cool, yeah. I'll definitely uh, look out for that. It's really cool that you were doing Sandman. Um, yeah. yeah um, fun. Actually, super fun. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And uh, if you're listening, make sure you check out the video so you can see our glasses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The glasses are great. It's a real treat. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you're listening and you'd like to get in touch with John or follow his work, you can do so by checking out his blog, which was littlejohnanimation.com. Littlejohnart.com. Sorry, I just wrote it down. I couldn't even read my own writing. <laughs> Littlejohnart.com. Um, you can also follow him on Instagram under Fushwa, which is F-O-O-S-H-W-A. Um, and I'll include the links to both those in the description of this podcast. And that's all for now. Thank you for listening. Okay, bye.